Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. We are starting a, a series, a new series, going through the letters of the Apostle John. So we're not going through the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was, that was where John gives us his, his firsthand account of his, his good friend, Jesus. Um, but we are going to be learning out of the letters of John over the next seven weeks. And the letters of John are, are letters that the Apostle John wrote himself to churches in the area of Ephesus. He's writing to encourage them because there is a huge divide that's happening in this region at the time that he's writing. So some, this letter is written probably sometime around AD 70 to 90. It, it, some 40 years after Jesus has been on the planet. 40 years since the Apostle John walked with Jesus sat with him, reclined with him, ate with him. I mean, John and Jesus have this very, very close relationship. And it's been 40 years now since he's been from that relationship with Jesus. And what's happening in in the culture that John's living in is people are walking away from Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as God himself. There's this division that's happening in the church. And John's writing this letter as a pastor to encourage the region to stay true to what you know is right. And there's so much encouragement that comes in this letter. Uh, but I'm, I'm so eager to tackle these next seven weeks with you guys because I think really the epistles of John, what they're gonna do for us is they're gonna remind us of two fundamental things that all of us know, but I wonder how many of us experience it deeply. So here's, here's the two things. I'll give them to you right off the top. John's gonna write so that we would know that we have the assurance of eternal life. And that's something like church people, we just, we know that, right? When you die, you go to heaven. I have officiated many funerals. I I officiated a funeral this last Friday for a 27-year-old man. And at every funeral, I don't care who you are, people are talking about how you are in a better place now, right? And so it it is an acceptable thing that we just slap on to everybody's life that no, you have eternal life. But do we as the church walk with the assurance, the assurance of eternal life in Jesus? Do we walk with that confidence? And the other thing that we're going to see is that John is on a mission to see to it that the church knows that you can actually experience the love of God. That's the other kind of bumper sticker thing that we have in church, don't we? Well, I know Jesus loves me. Yeah, but do you live your whole life knowing that the God who created everything loves you intimately and deeply? These are two things that we just like, we just, we throw these things around all the time. Oh, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven and I know that God loves me. But do, you, but do you know it? Like, is it in your guts? Like, have you come to this deep resolve that there's nothing that can take away everlasting life for you? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Okay, I'm getting into preaching. We're not quite there yet. But do we know these things? Do we have them? Do we hold on to them in the way that we live our life? These two things are gonna come at us over and over and over again in the epistles, the letters that John writes to this church. And they're just as relevant to us today because we still wrestle with these same questions, don't we? Because even if we're honest in church this morning, and you can be honest in church, I'd actually encourage it, right? Sometimes we question whether eternal, if this is all for real. Sometimes we wonder. We're afraid of death. You might be looking at right in the eye right now, given some circumstance in your life. You might, you might have it just so familiarly pressed into your mind because of tragic things that have happened around you. And sometimes we can waver in our assurance that we're going to heaven when we die. Sometimes we can talk like we know that Jesus loves us. We can even walk like we know Jesus loves us, but we fail to experience what it's like to know the love of the Father. 
Now, and I'm talking to people who are in the church, not just one time every month, one time every year. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking to people who are here every week. We can sometimes waver in our knowledge, in our, in our knowing that Jesus loves us. John, as he writes, uh, he writes a lot differently, stylistically, than the Apostle Paul, for example. The Apostle Paul, you know, I was just joking with Caden this morning. We were talking about, man, if, if John would have wrote Romans, we would all be in trouble because they do not write in the same way. Paul writes in this very linear, like, just like argument, point, 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 argument, point, 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 right? That is, and you read it and you're just like, wow, what is this? Okay, this, that, and the other thing. And he just keeps going in this very cohesive, linear kind of way, which just my brain appreciates that. John is more of, what I could only describe as like a verbal processor. You ever been in an argument with a verbal processor before? Like you're just kind of in the argument, you're out of the argument. You're talking about something significant, deep, and then it's light and it's fun. And then you go back in and now it just is like this right turn out of nowhere. And here we are back talking about this thing. We already started there and we went back there. And how did we get back over here? We're, like, I, okay, listen, my wife and I have this very wonderful relationship. We're best friends, but she is a, she is a verbal processor. Every now and then she'll just say a sentence to me and I'm like, I understand what you just said, but I do not know what you mean. Anyone else? Because what's happened, uh, yeah, all right, okay. We get to see some good husband-wife dynamics coming out, right? Because I'll be like, you just said that, but I, I got the last sentence of what I can only imagine was a paragraph of story going on in your mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. She roasts me every now and then from the pulpit, so you know what? I'm like, okay, here we go. I actually asked for her permission before this, but... And honestly, it's probably more helpful that she talks more than I do. Otherwise, we just wouldn't talk at all because I'm just kind of thinking all the time, right? You nonverbal processes, you're just like, let me just, let me just think and be quiet for a minute, right? Any introverts just want to amen, praise the Lord right now? John writes more like a psalmist. He writes more like King David. It's very poetic. It's, very, it's almost like a song as it's coming out. And every now and then, John will go from talking very directly and bluntly to us, and it feels quite harsh, and, and, then, he'll, and then he'll come back up and he'll call us little children, and he just kind of weaves around. And, and at some point, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, haven't we talked about this already? And the answer is probably yes. This is how John writes. He, he doesn't write with this linear format. He's writing, he's writing almost as a father to a child. He's writing, he's writing as an elder. You think about this. John in his life at this point, he, he's, he's 70, 80, 90 years old, and he's writing to a church, right? And, and I just, I think that we as a culture, we have so, such a lack for respect towards the older generation. And we just go, oh yeah, grandma and grandpa, like they don't know anything about Twitter or Instagram or, you know, whatever, like whatever the case may be. Like, they just don't get it sometimes. And there can be this easy discrediting that happens. But I wonder if we as a church can have the posture of humility over the next seven weeks to receive advice from a father figure of the church. Can we, do we have the advice to receive the, the humility to receive advice from an elderly man? an old man who wants to share some wisdom to us, not just talk to us like grandpa. Katie and I both actually just lost uh, a grandfather in this last year. And my grandfather, when he passed away um, over the summer, he, uh, my grandpa, his whole life, the whole time I knew him, he never let the facts get in the way of telling a good story. You know what I mean by that, right? <laughs> but towards that last few weeks of his life, man, when he, and he was in the hospital for a little bit, man, I'll tell you what, I'm not sure what was true and what was fake. Like, I mean, it was just like, it was all just a bunch of chaos. He, he was, <laughs> I remember being in the hospital visiting him and he was so frustrated with the nurse that he wouldn't even look at her. These poor nurses that care for some of these people in these situations. And he was like, he's like, she knows I'm deathly allergic to chocolate. Why is she trying to feed me this chocolate pudding? I'm like, grandpa, I'm pretty sure it's because you haven't eaten anything in the last like three days and she's just trying to get something into your body and you 
You have never been allergic to chocolate. I've watched you smash so much chocolate cake, so much chocolate ice cream in our life. Is this a new onset allergy? Like, what's going on? Right? But there's, there's something in us that I think wants to write off elderly people. But John has this crazy wisdom, this crazy relationship where he walked so deeply with Jesus. You read in these first few verses, we're going to tackle the first five verses this morning. He, it's, it's like John has not gotten over the awe of the incarnation yet. 80 years into his life, and he's just like, I'm just, I still can't believe this is how it went down. I still can't believe this. And so if you would, just grab your Bible. John is in like the very back of your Bible. So if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, if, you've get, if you've got to the maps, you're really too far. Just come back over a few pages, okay? John, we're going to be in 1 John this week, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can for sure just look at the screen with us. 1 John chapter 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we, re- we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with the son and with his son, Jesus Christ. Any uh, grammar people in the room right now? That drive you crazy? That was the end of his first sentence right there. Like that is a long sentence, is it not? All of the that which is, which we have looked upon, which we have touched, the life which is a manifest, and then, okay, we keep going. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Some manuscripts have our and your substituted. We'll get back to that in just a little bit, but just I want you to note that in your Bible. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So these first five verses, we see even John's kind of character, his writing style is on display. It feels a lot like uh, the gospel of John. The The first opening stanza out of the gospel of John is just wondrously looking at the marvelous fact of the incarnation of Jesus, that God became man. And John's writing almost as if he's not talking about a subject, Jesus. He's almost like he's talking about just an object, like this thing, the light. It has been made manifest to us. That which has come into the world, we have seen it. We have touched it. And it's like, what is he talking about? The thing that he's talking about is the the life of God. And so the first thing that we're trying to tackle in in this like series is we're trying to see that you can be assured of everlasting life in Christ. John, later on in this book, he's going to write in in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing so that we may know that we have eternal life. I know I tell this story all the time, but like if someone is walking in a way that they know they have eternal life, what can you do to that person? Honestly, we we only have to look at the apostle Paul, right? All right, Paul, uh, we're going to beat you up, throw you in prison a little bit. He's like, oh, that's fine. Um, I don't count these current afflictions worthy to compare of that future glory that I have in Christ. So it's like, you can't even beat him up to take anything with him. Like, we're going to kill you. He's like, ah, to die is gain. All right, we're going to let you live. To live is Christ. Ha <laughs> ha, you know, it's like, what do you take from this guy? We're going to throw you in prison. Awesome, I'm going to write more letters. No, don't do that. He's like, fine, I'll just sing and I'll convert your jailer. <laughs> like, This isn't just the Apostle Paul, though. I I know believers sitting in this room today, and if you have the assurance of Jesus, 
that, that gets you through all of life's circumstances. Not some, not the easy ones, not the hard ones, not the good days, not the bad days. All of the days are gotten through our sustain if you know that I have eternal life purchased for me. Right, like you, you wouldn't get so stuck in the situation that you're in. You'd be able to lift your eyes up if you know this isn't gonna last for forever. Church, whatever you're in right now, it's not going to last forever. We're gonna be with him soon. And you are not gonna remember the pain and the affliction. And I'm sorry you're going through the pain and the affliction right now. If you are just suffering right now, if you're just getting through it right now, I'm not trying to make light of your suffering. I'm trying though to make much of eternity. That there's, you, there's nothing you're going through right now that you're going to remember 10,000 years from now. Eternity is a long time. It's coming quickly. And so if we can walk in a way where we are, have the assurance of eternal life, then, then what can the world take from us? It's not just that we have this, this hope for our life. I, I always am struck with this warning in Scripture to warn the church and be reminded that you can think that you have eternal life and you don't. And I always think of this passage in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, where, where we see that, nope, that's the wrong verse. I wrote the wrong verse down. Matthew 7, it's Matthew 7. We can pull it up later. Look it up on your own phone or your own Bible. Right where, where the people come to Jesus and he's, and, it's, and he's saying, depart from me, I never knew you. They're like, but Lord, didn't we prophesy didn't we do amazing things in your name? Didn't we do all this stuff? Didn't we do all this church-looking kind of stuff? And he's saying, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. And so there's a, there's a way of routine Christian living. This, this is the huge warning that I want to try to deposit every single Easter is that if you just have built out in your life religious activity and you're just kind of walking around doing the Christian things because you know that's the right thing to do, that is the most dangerous kind of game that you can play because you can walk in a false assurance that you know Jesus deeply. And that I think should be the most humbling passages of scripture that we can read. Depart from me, I never knew you. What Jesus is speaking of, there is a way that you can know him deeply, where you can engage with him relationally, where you can actually have the inside of your heart transformed to love the things that he loves, to do the things that he's called you to do, not out of like just this rigid moral obedience following after him, but in a way that you actually desire to do the things that he wants you to do. Where, where David writes, the, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Where when he talks about the law of God, it's not like this rigid thing he has to do to obey it, but he actually says, it's, it's this life that I get to walk into. This is what Jesus is inviting us into, is to walk into this eternal life. The other thing that I want for this series, and this is, I've just been praying for this, is that we wouldn't just continue to talk about God's love as a thing that we know about, but that we'd actually encounter the love of God during this series. This has been, this has been my, my prayer for you all week this week, that we would have a deep, life-changing encounter with the love of God. Because you can say a lot about a person that you love, and you can tell them a lot about how you love them. And, and we know this to be true, just even in our own relationships. We call it lip service when somebody is willing to say a lot of the right things, but their actions fail to back it up, right? We, we would never say the spouse is an awesome spouse if they're just always sending their other spouse like cards about how much they love them. Talk is cheap in this way. If you, want to, if you want to really know if someone loves someone, look at their actions. Their actions will always follow what their heart actually desires. 
And so when we see in 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. That word fellowship, it's this word participation. So what the church is doing is we're not just coming in here and we're not just like getting to hear this nice talk, getting to sing these nice songs. Wow, the band sounded really good today and now we're on our way. No, there's a participation that happens in here. There's all of us coming together in fellowship with one another. It's this Greek word koinonia. It's, it's the word that like you can't do, you can't undo the two things. They have to be done together. John's saying, we have this fellowship with you. We, we are coming together experiencing the love of God. If what, what, what we know to be true is that love is made manifest by action. And so what we see here in First John, John chapter 1 is that the love of God is put on display, not by him telling us that he loves us. There are way too many Christians settling for the fact that, well, Jesus has told me that he loves me. No, it's that Jesus as a person came down from heaven. Do you see? There's action that he did. He stepped out of heaven and put on flesh. He lived a perfect life, was crucified, was rose, risen from the grave, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He did those things. He acted on those things. He gave out his life, not so that we would just observe that historically, but so that we would have a relationship with him intimately. So we would actually would, would walk with him and know him and trust him. This is, this is what we have. 1 John 1, 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is no greater joy than watching somebody else fall in love with Jesus personally. So I said, translation, the, the word that's used here for our, your, your, or our, it's used interchangeably. Depending on what version you have on your Bible, it's gonna use your or our. And I think that's beautiful because it's, they're both true. I'm writing these things so that my joy would be complete in watching you. There is no greater joy for me than when I get to watch somebody fall in love with Jesus. And there's nothing that could be better possibly happen for your soul than for you to fall in love with Jesus. You want your joy to be complete? Fall in love with him. Don't fall in love with just coming to church. Fall in love with the person of Jesus. That's where there's true abundant joy. And there's no greater joy than watching somebody else fall in love with Jesus. I told you guys that I did a funeral service this last Friday. And it was, it was a tragic circumstance. And a lot of you probably read about it in the paper. There was a young man, 27 years old, who was, who was killed in a Walmart parking lot just up the road from us. And for, for our, our church staff, our team, we were, we were trying to get all the hustle and bustle done with Easter on that Thursday afternoon. And we got a call from the Love and Police Department. And, and the, tra the accident had just happened and said, hey, we have, we have someone here who's asking for pastoral representation. Would you be willing to come? They said it was, it was this woman who was part of our church and her son's been coming to this church as well. He's been here too. He just got connected with a small group. He was, he was doing life here. And so Katie and I, I, was like, I took Katie with me. I was like, hey, let's go over there. And we got to just sit with the family for a little bit. And, and then like all the details start to have to unfold. It's the most unfair thing, I think, pastorally is watching families who are in the middle of tragedy now have to go into all of this logistical planning and problem solving and decision making. It's not fair the way life comes at you. So I sat down with the family on Monday and we began to start to put the details in order for this young man's funeral service that happened on Friday. And on Monday, the mom looked at me and she said, I don't, I don't really care what else the service looks like. I want you to share the gospel. So I was like, well, <laughs> awesome. Right, because it's, it's always a little uh, interesting as a pastor when you get different families represented at, for a funeral service and they all kind of want different things. And some of you don't want, they don't want very much pastor to come out of you, right? So when someone's just like, hey, just green light, share the gospel, that's like, okay, here we go. So man, church, I gotta tell you, like we had, we had all of this 
right, sitting right over in this section right here, that's why I keep looking at you guys, there was all these employees from Walmart who came. Because that, that store is just, they're a mess right now. They're grieving, they're heartbroken, and they're, they're all sitting right over here. So I just shared the gospel, plain as I knew how to say it. I just laid it out there and I said, hey, and if you want to receive Jesus for the first time, would you just raise your hand in the air? It's not my usual move, right? But I find myself, we're just doing it over and over again recently. And there were like a dozen people that raised their hand in that service. It was incredible. It was incredible. All these, we have this follow, I'm texting Katie. I'm like, go get that following Jesus book. Get as many copies as you can. Just throw it on the back table. We got to, you know, you got to try and get some people some next steps in front of them because this journey with Jesus, it's not just as easy and as linear as we want to make it sometimes. It's difficult. And, 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 and I, I had the conversation, Katie and I were talking the day before the funeral. Like, man, it was just such a tragic accident. It was just such an accident, like a fluke circumstance almost, where you're just like, how, how did this happen? And, and there's part of you that asks the question, God, how can you redeem something like this? Because I believe that your word, I believe in your word. And you say that you're going to take what the enemy means for evil and you're going to use it for your good, God. So, so how can you redeem such a broken and hopeless and sad situation? And we kind of came to the conclusion, it's like the only way that you can take something so tragic and you can make something good out of it possibly, Lord, is if people come to know you. We're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. There was something joyous about that funeral service that I haven't had in many services that I've officiated. Where, where his life, though he was not here anymore, he, he was a believer. He was walking with the Lord. I do have trust and assurance of where he is today. But even more than that, I got to see 12 people respond to the gospel because of his life, because of his witness in the world. And so here, church, here's the invitation. Do you know that God loves you? I'm not looking for you just to recite all these facts about who God is. I'm wondering, do you, like, what's the most recent thing that he's taught you? What's your conversations been like with him? I want to know that you know him. I want to know that you love him. We were at this, uh, we were at this talk a couple weeks ago where there was a psychologist kind of giving some, it was, it was how to minister to Gen Z because Gen Z, man, uh, I, I love you guys. I think you're so full of energy. I think you're so full of life and you, you have big questions for what's happening in the world. You won't settle for cheap answers. You want to know deeply what's happening in the world we're living in. And, and one of the things that we learned from this guy who's a counselor, he was saying, you have to understand with Gen Z that they are experiencing a lack of awe. Psychologists are calling it awe deprivation. And what's happening is because we're seeing everything on our screens, because we're being exposed to every wondrous thing, every awesome thing, like my son thinks the only awesome catch in a football game is a one-handed snag behind your head with three fingers like OBJ. He's like, if we're not doing it like that, then I don't want anything to do with it. I'm like, bro, just catch the ball and get four yards because that's all you need to get a first down consistently. <laughs> Two hands, fall to the ground, who cares? That's all you need to get a first down. That's what wins games. But, but we have this lack of awe in our society because we're so overly exposed to everything. We're, like we're gonna take a trip to Glacier uh, National Park and Katie is like refusing to let our kids see any pictures before we go. <laughs> like, no, I don't, I don't want you to get there and be like, yeah, I knew this is what it was gonna look like. You know, I saw it on the phone, whatever. It's like, no, some of you, I wonder if you're settling for a relationship with Jesus where you're looking at it on a phone or you're looking at it just from somebody else's vantage point, somebody else's Instagram reel, someone else's highlight video, rather than sitting at the edge of the Grand Canyon, experiencing the awesome awe and wonder of Jesus. Do you get that? Like, do you, do you see the difference? 
There is a relationship to be had with Jesus. And what John's going to do as he leads us through his gospel is he's going to invite us time and time again to consider, no, God loves you. I know you think that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the love chapter, right? But I'll tell you this, 1 John 4 is actually the love chapter. It is the most densely packed chapter of the Bible with the word love in it where he's just gonna time and time again tell us how much this love means to us, how much it implicates our life, how much we're gonna have to do and respond to this love. Because if we get a greater understanding of Jesus during this time, it's gonna result in a greater call to our obedience to him. John's gonna mince no words about how we are to walk in obedience to what God has called us to do. And as we do that, he's gonna, he's gonna time and time again pull us into this experience of God, not settling for someone else's experience. I hope, I hope, no matter what, you are not coming to this church week in and week out relying on my experience with Jesus, but that you're cultivating one for yourself because you can know him and he can love you. And if you can get that in your head and if you can trust that you have the assurance of eternal life, there is nothing in this world that will rattle you. I know what the economy looks like. I know your job might not be certain. I know the marriage is tough. I know the kids are doing their thing. I understand that there are things in this life where it feels like, the parable would say, shifting sand underneath your feet. But church, the good news is there's a solid rock that you can build your foundation on. It doesn't have to be me. You're not not trying to nourish yourself off of what I have with Jesus. You can have it for yourself. And so we'll end with this last verse, 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. A proclamation is really just, it's a message received from a king for the people. So John's just saying, I have this thing that, thing that I want to proclaim to you. The message that I want to proclaim to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So how are we going to leave this service before we jump into next week? I'm going to leave it this way. There is a daunting reality to the fact that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Because as soon as we say that, if you're honest, don't we kind of start to become aware of the darkness that's in us? And we start to wonder how this relationship really works. How how is it that we who, who know we have things that are broken us, how do we get to dwell in unapproachable light? How do we get to live there? How do we get to walk with Jesus who is himself light? That's what we'll talk about next week. So church, would you stand? Would you pray with me? you would, would you just posture your hands out in front of you if you're willing to just kind of open yourself, posture yourself that way. Holy Spirit, we need you. I ask God that you would come. God, in your word, it says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And I think we probably know that verse. We might even know that it's Romans chapter eight. We might even know that it's something about heights and depths, angels and demons. We might even know some of the phrasing that's in there. But I wonder if we as a church have experienced a love that can't be separated from you. Do we know that we can cry out to you and call you Father? Do we have that kind of relationship with you where we know that we're just little children in your hands? God, I pray for humility during this series. I pray that you would reach us in a certain way that we'd be open to receive correction from an elderly man. Holy Spirit, won't you come? Won't you come? I pray for all of us in this room that during this time together, during this series, we would know that we can trust in the everlasting life we have because of you, Jesus. Because what you've done for us, we can walk in that resurrection power that we celebrated last weekend and we celebrate every weekend. God, we can walk in it. We can live in it and we can be confident of who you are and what you've done and what you're going to do for us for all of eternity. Jesus, we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 